my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Well, we are on quite an adventure, aren't we, with this family? And, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to start from the beginning, but I'm just condensing this and watching this whole book of Genesis, you know, like what God intended, you know. I mean, yes, creation, and he made everything perfect, and, and he intended it to stay that way. He made us in his image and to have that perfect relationship with him and in sounds glorious. And yet, right from the start, he gave them a choice. And that's the word, I believe, it's the key word in Genesis, is that he gave us a choice. Right even in a perfect world, he gave them a choice in that garden. And then we watch how these choices make such a difference, you know, on our behavior, in our actions. And our choices are dependent on how close are we walking with the Lord? And it's so easy to not even realize that we have kind of gone off the path and then all of a sudden these choices we're making are ending up with with consequences and goodness sakes, it's just, so, you know, we see with, with Noah, you know, we saw with Noah what a wonderful righteous man he was, and yet when they got off the ark, and whether he just got lax or whatever the deal, I mean, you can see how his, his whole, you know, he just kind of, kind of went a, went a little cuckoo or something, I mean, he didn't even, he didn't even realize that, you know, drinks from the vine, and, you know, just terrible behavior, you know, and, and you think, come on, but this is human nature, and if we're not careful, we will fall into those kinds of things, believe it or not, the best of Christians, the best of righteous people, because Abraham was labeled, too, as righteous, and, and no one was like Noah, either, so then we have the Tower of Babel. We have the Tower of Babel, and they thought they could just, you know, do whatever, and they would be in total control, and God said, I'll show you, and we saw what happened. And then in Genesis 12, we, start, we watch God start this family, and he chose Abraham over Nahor, and this has been very interesting to see why God will choose certain people, and, and you know, like why Abraham over Nahor? Why Jacob over Esau? And we have to remember that God being almighty he can see right into the depths of our heart and he can see whether we are going to soften and be pliable. Even with decades of work, he could see, and he did. He saw that, that you know, some were just not going to Budge. They were going to be selfish. They were going to continue to do what they wanted when they wanted. And so, you know, I know that's, that opens up a whole can of worms about predestination and how some people think that God chooses some and he doesn't choose others. And I just, for the life of me, cannot accept that because God loves everyone. And he died for everyone. It's not his will that any perish. But we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to, to uh, choose whether we want to accept him or not. And, and, he, and I, don't, I don't blame God for not picking um, Nahor. I don't blame God for not picking Esau because he, he could see. He could see their hearts. He could see that they weren't going to be conducive to what his plan was. He had a plan to bring Jesus here so that sinners could be redeemed. They could be bought back. And Now, I know that he didn't have anything to, we're all sinners. But yet, like I said, if he can see just a little mustard seed of faith, he can work on that. He can work from that. And so, you know, we see, you know, in Abraham's life and how, how he made some horrendous mistakes, and yet how if you confess and repent and how the Lord remembers those sins no more. So any, any reference to Abraham we have in the New Testament, even especially Hebrews 11, it's like the man was perfect. And isn't that beautiful how God works? He remembers our sin no more, and he looks at us through the, the, the white robe of righteousness that we've been given. And then, you know, then from Abraham, now we're, we're going into Isaac, and 
I know Tom and I have talked about it, and Tom even said, man, they just keep repeating themselves, and it's really true. They, they do, and yet, goodness sakes, we have to look in the mirror, and we too repeat ourselves, and, and fortunately, God is so gracious, and he is so willing to take us back, and, and he's so willing to start us again. But last week, you know, we couldn't help but see in one chapter, in chapter, you know, 26, we, we saw just exactly, you know, what happened to, to Isaac. I mean, he had been in such a good place. He, w- he was. He was in a very good place. He had, um, he, he started out in chapter 26, he started out with, you know, that whole thing with Abimelech and um Let me say that again. He had been in a good place, and then in the start of chapter 26, then he is not, he's weak again. And because what happened to him when he he moved in this area, and and he says to his clan, he says to Rebecca, he says, let's just call you my sister. And you want to just jump in there and say, come on, haven't you learned a thing? And yet he lives for quite a long time. It says for quite a long time, it looked like he was getting away with it just fine. But then it's like God reels him in. At just the right time, God says, that's it. That's enough. You've been living a lie. And so we are going to get, we are going to end this right now. And so the the, the details, Abimelech is coming out of the window just at that time. And then, and then, Isaac is hugging up his Rebecca just at that time, and Abimelech comes over and he says, why, why did you tell me that? It's, it's like, what disappointment. You proclaim to be a worshiper of your God Almighty, and yet, see, the world, when the world is watching, and you claim, and you, and you wear that name, and, and you're so quick to express that you're Christian, then the world expects, they really truly do, they expect a different character. And so Abimelech says to him, you know, why did you do that? Why did you lie to me like that? And that had to have been humbling. Because like Abraham, to know that you had an opportunity to be such a testimony to to the world that's watching you, and yet you blow it like that. Abraham, now Isaac doing the same thing, and I do think that Isaac started to, to realize what he had done. And it doesn't say that, but then right after Abimelech says to him, why did you do that? Then Abimelech says to his household and to his people, you touch, you molest any one of them, you will die. And you would think, well, well, thanks, Abimelech. But you know, Isaac knew that was God protecting. That was God protecting. Why would Abimelech just come out and say that? And then I wondered if Isaac was wondering because Right after that, it says that as time went on, God blessed Isaac and gave him great wealth and great herds. And, and it's just grace. It is undeserved favor. And I think like grace does, it starts affecting you. When you realize you didn't deserve it and you are just being lavish with this grace, I, I do believe that Isaac started to change. And you could see, because when when he was being blessed like that, then, of course, Abimelech's clan comes and is envious and jealous and plugs up all of Abraham's wells. And, you know, I mean, he could have been so angry and so upset, and, and yet he just... You know, he just moves when they say, we think he's best if you just move. So he moves into the, the valley. And so then he starts digging wells. And then here they come say, no, no, that's ours. And, you know, human nature says, come on, this is so unjust. It's so unfair. And, and he could have just lashed out. But no, he just moved on to another well, and they came and did the same thing again. Now, he, he did not, he did not get angry. He did not get upset. He did not um, fall into that, that 
pit of, of revenge. He did not fall into that. In fact, he made his point across because when they named Wells, he named one contention and he, made, and he named another one, you know, opposition. So, you know, he got his point across. But then that third well, then no opposition, no contention, and he named it Rehoboth. And this is what he said, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. It's like, okay, now, it took it took, it took for him to realize that God was so faithful, that God's grace was just, honestly, when he didn't deserve it, just being outpoured on him. And so now it's like, and now I'm listening, Lord. Now I'm listening. And he, and he builds that altar. Remember how altars are so important that we understand. When they would build an altar, it was like, okay, I confess, I repent. I'm so sorry that I lost my way and I tried to do it myself. And, and now I recommit. I recommit my life to you. And, and thank you. I praise you because you are willing to take me back. And and so it's such a time, and, and what a reminder for us. We can do the same thing. We can go to the cross, and, and it's just like we can get rejuvenated. We can get back to where we need to be in our relationship. And so then um, it says that, meanwhile, Abimelech then... Um, they come because in the course of time, after I think Isaac is really getting his life right again, I think it's noticeable by the way he lives, the way he, he handled these difficult situations. And, and so Abimelech and his two friends that he brought with him said, you know, we have noticed that the Lord has blessed you so much. You know, and we would love it if they would have said, and we would love to know your God. Could you tell us about him so he can become our God? I mean, there are so many times in these stories that there could have been a different story if they would have just listened and obeyed. But here, again, you know, he doesn't say that, but he does say, I would like to hook up with you. And because we, we kind of want to be on the side you are on. And I know it was selfish, but yet it was a start. It was a start. And I think Isaac, instead of looking at him saying, are you crazy? After all what you've done to us, you think I'm going to do you a favor now? No. In fact, he, he says just the opposite. Hey, come for dinner. And then they do sign that treaty. And why would he do something like that? And it's so important that we don't burn bridges, that we don't close doors. I know sometimes we think they deserve it. They've just, they've just, it's the last straw, and they've hurt you for the last time, and you just had it. But I think we don't know. Only the Lord knows a heart, and I never want to be responsible for closing the door. That's up to the Lord, but I want to be open. I want to make sure that in case they would ever decide and they have a question, I want to be able to have that door wide open so that I have an answer. I mean, so often that's with wayward children, too. I mean, sometimes, you know, these kids, and we're going to learn that, they can hurt us. We can love them the most, but they can hurt us, too. And, and you just need to keep that door open. So I, I thought, oh, Isaac, you're in such a good place because you can tell by your behavior and the way that you handle this. And then, and then how that chapter last week ended. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith the Hittite, and then he married Basemath, um, another Hittite. It's like he had learned, he had learned from Isaac and Rebecca that this wasn't, uh, this wasn't permissible. And it's, you can just see his heart, uh, this rebellious heart that says, oh, you don't want me to do it? Okay, I'll do it twice. You know, this, that's just such a typical, you know, almost like a spoiled brat. I mean, he just doesn't want to listen. He doesn't want to comply to the rules. So, oh, I'm not supposed to marry a Canaanite woman? Okay, and then how about two? And it says that was a source of grief to Isaac and Rebecca. That broke their heart. You know, that's when you start doubting what kind of parents were we? You know, what did I do wrong? And this is where, because... The reason I'm saying this is because to go into our lesson tonight, I was thinking, Isaac, you're not in a good place again. I mean, we have just left you with, in such a good place with God. The relationship is good. The 
15 is so good. So what in the world happened? And then, because, you know, I often wondered why was that verse 34 and 35 tagged on, you know, and it's not a mistake, so what do you want us to see, Lord? And when it comes to parents and children, when they go off track, it really hurts and doesn't surprise me when it says, and it was it was a source of grief to them both. And sometimes if you're not careful, that emotion, emotions can just whip you out of control. Emotions can get so much bigger than your faith. And could this have what happened, that when Esau did this and he just was obstinate and rebellious, could this have been such grief that it caused them to start sinking? They started, they started kind of... Um, feeling so bad that they couldn't see God's hand or they didn't want to see. You know, sometimes when our emotions just get bigger than our faith, we just watch ourselves start to sink. Because now, when Isaac was old, see, this is in the course of time, you know, but so now Isaac is old and his eyes were so weak and that he could no longer see, and he called Esau, the older son, and said to him, my son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. See, Isaac thought he was on his deathbed. And I, I did some studying on this, and Martin Luther is the one that kind of figured out that Isaac was 137 at this time, and he lived to 180, so surprise, surprise, Isaac, you're going to live 43 more years. But right now, he is looking like he is dying, and so it's like he wanted to get a step ahead. He, and I'm thinking, Isaac, you know it's not supposed to go like this. And why? Why should you know? Because I would dare say your wife told you about that time when she was pregnant and she had these, these babies jostling in her womb. So she goes to the Lord and says, what is going on here? And the Lord very distinctly, very understandably, with no questions, made it clear to Rebecca, well, let me tell you what's going on. You have two nations in your womb. You've got two different kinds of people. One's going to be stronger than the other one. And then the real one, the real line that I'm sure she just, you know, couldn't hardly believe because it wasn't at all the way it usually is supposed to be. The younger will rule over the old, will, will rule over the older one. So the older one will serve the younger one. And that's just, you know, unheard of. So you can't help but wonder, okay, she had to have told Isaac that because it was such an experience. I mean, she heard the Lord explain to her when she asked what's going on, and he told her. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about that. We said if this whole story would have been different, if these two parents would have explained, if they would have heard God and would have said, well, this doesn't make any sense. It's not what we usually do, but God's speaking, so we're going to believe it. If they would have, while the, while the twins were growing up every year, they would say, let's go over that again, what God said when you weren't, when you weren't even born yet. Then they would all gone prepared, they would all gone ready, and they wouldn't have had to understand because God doesn't owe us an explanation. He just He just expects us, commands us to obey Him. But somewhere along the line, this message got lost, or Isaac didn't want to believe it. You know, because Esau's his favorite. You know, we, we already know that Rebecca and Isaac had kind of faltered after that because once those babies came, they probably, they're, they're, they're clinging to the Lord and their prayer time and they're begging the Lord for children and all that kind of thing. That, oh, well, we got her, we got what we asked for. So, and then that's a dangerous place because when you start getting lax, when you think you don't need to cling or work so hard at your relationship with the Lord, you will falter and you know, Isaac picks Esau to be his favorite, and Rebecca picks Jacob to be her favorite, and we see division, we see problems. So this is why, you know, I reviewed last
in particularly because I just can't believe that so quickly, you know, I mean, because, you know, of Isaac being right with the Lord and yet we did this grief over Esau just caused them to start sinking and now Esau is is thinking, I got, I got to get him, I got him, he's got to get the blessing. Because is this done secretly? Is this done? Because it says, Isaac said, I am now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow and go out in the open country and hunt some wild game for me. I think he's proud of him. I think because maybe Isaac was an outdoorsman too and he saw his big, his big Esau, you know, loved the outside and he loved to hunt and he probably was a big game hunter and, and probably conquered quite a bit. And I'm sure, he, I'm sure Isaac was really proud of him. And so it's like he thinks he's on his deathbed. So, you know, I want to see one, another, I want to see one more big hunt Esau. I want to see you get one more. And, and you know how much I love that game. And so prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. You know, it all sounds well and good, but that last line, that's not right. You know, God had said very distinctly to Rebecca, no, the younger one will rule over the older one, that is the way it's going to be. And here again, they're not waiting to let God do it in the proper way. Now, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke. See, he's, she's eavesdropping. You know, she's got her ear to the, the tent flap, and she's, she's listening. I'm looking at these four people in this chapter, and not one of them trust one another. There's not any trust going on. What's sad? They don't even trust the Lord to work it out the way he wanted. See, they're just not in the right place. So she says, she's listening, and, and when Esau left for the open country to um, hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I've overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Boy, I don't know about that, do you? I mean, it's like Rebecca is telling Jacob, I heard this, and, and, and Isaac is saying, Esau, I want you to have this blessing, and I'm going to give it to you before the Lord. I'm going, I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord. Is he in dreamland? Or what is he? Is he being deceitful and spiteful? Does he think he can, if he hurries up, he can, he can get his way so that God doesn't have, have it his way because, you know, his favorite is Esau? Now, now my son, Rebecca says, now this is where it, it, just, it's, it just goes from bad to worse. Now my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. You go out to the flock and you bring me two choice young goats. <laughs> I have to say I laughed at that because, you know, Jacob doesn't like to go outside. And so the thought of him hunting is probably hilarious, you know. And so she, she says to him, you know, you know, I know you don't like to hunt, so, you know, we've got all these flocks, so you just go out to our little, you know, to our little pen there and pick two good-sized, choice, you know, animals. So go to the flock, bring me two choice young goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. They've been married a long time. So, so... She knows how to cook, and she knows what her husband likes. And so this wasn't really a hard thing. She knows exactly what Isaac, how many spices or what. She, she knows that's not the problem. That's not going to be a problem. You know, she's really quite clever. She knows that Isaac is blind, but she also knows that there are other senses that she can use. And she is going to go after taste, and she's going to go after smell, and she's going to go after feel. That's how she's going to win him over. 
So she is very clever how she does this. And then she said, then you take it, verse 10, you take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. <laughs> no one wants you to have the blessing, you know. You hear Isaac saying, no, I want to give you the blessing before I die. And then Rebecca's saying, no, Jacob, I want you to have the blessing. Just look at what's going on here. And it's all deceit, and it's all conniving. It's all manipulation. And you, you may say, well, you know, this was the way that God was going to give Jacob the blessing. But think about it. Would God use conniving and manipulation? No, he would not. They just aren't willing to wait to let God do it his way. Jacob said to his, to his mom, Rebecca, and I give him a quarter of a point. Just one little quarter of a point is all I give him because at least he had a little bit of conscience because he said, but my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So at least he knows that, that they're, not, they're not doing right here. He knows he's a part of this deceit. And so he then says, I would appear to be drinking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Like, this is going to turn out. If I get caught, it is going to be bad. In fact, not only am I not going to get the blessing, I'm going to be cursed. Now, verse 13, his mother says to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Like, I'll take the blame. I'm thinking, what mother does this? What mother says to her child, you just do what I say and you get them for me. In other words, you just listen to me and even though this is so wrong and this is deceitful, what mother causes her child to lie and deceive like that? The one I thought of, though, one that came to my mind. See, it's one who is now walking with the Lord. There's no way you can be walking with the Lord and act like that. There's just no way. And I thought of another mom in the New Testament, and, you know, during John the Baptist's time. And I'm thinking of how Herod decided he wanted Herodias to be his wife, even though she was married to his brother, and no one argued, because no one argued with the king, except John the Baptist. And he told both of them, you are so wrong in this. And, and so, you know, they both felt guilty. Now, guilt is something. I mean, it, is, it feels awful. You, you just, it's a, it's a horrible emotion. But in this case, you know, guilt is really, I think, a gift from God because it's supposed to make us feel so terrible that we do something about it and that we go to the Lord and we get rid, we confess and repent and the guilt can be gone. That's God's intent. But here again, you have a choice. You can choose to do it God's way. Or in, in Herodias' case, you know, John the Baptist was in prison, but Herod kind of liked him. He kind of was intrigued with John the Baptist. He kind of was developing a low relationship with him. It was Herodias that thought, you know what? I don't like this guilty feeling, so let's get rid of the one who's making me feel guilty. He, she's so deceived that she thinks that if she gets rid of the person who's making her feel guilty, the guilt will be gone. And so when the opportunity came, you know that Herod had his big party, and they all drank, and they all probably definitely were over the top. And so when, when Salome danced this dance, and they just loved it, and, and so when it was done, Herod, oh, clap, I'm sure they were just applauding, and he jumped up and said, oh, man, I want to reward you, girly, and I will give you up to half my kingdom. She goes running to her mom saying, what should I ask for? Oh, man, did the light come on in her, her mind thinking, here's my chance. And sure enough, she says to her daughter, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Now, what mother does that? One that's not walking with the Lord, I'll tell you. 
So what does Salome do? She asks for the head of John the Baptist. Herod, does, he cares more about his reputation than he does his feelings for John. So he has him beheaded. And, you know, the story is so gruesome because they do take that bloody head and put it on a platter and they give it to Salome. I mean, you know, you wonder what this child thought. But Herodias is thinking, good, this is great, you know. I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't read more of that story. And I, I, I love the part where it said the twelve disciples, di- disciples heard that what happened to John, and they came and took his body and they buried him. But what a story! And what mother does that? So she, so he went and got them and brought them to his mother. I mean, she, he, he listened to whatever she said, and she prepared the tasty food just the way Isaac would like it. And so then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and she put them on her younger son, Jacob. So, see, she took the food and made it exactly the way Isaac liked it. She took the clothes that she just happened to have of Esau, and she put those clothes on Jacob. And then she also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. I thought to myself, boy, Esau had to be a hairy one. Because, you know, for him to, for, for Isaac to be deceived, you know, by feeling that goat skin. But I thought, oh, that had to be gross. That it had to be so awful. It's one thing to put on Esau's clothes, but it's another thing to have that goat skin put on your arms and your neck. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread that she made, and off he goes. And he went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, Who is it? Uh, Who can look at an old blind man and lie to his face? Because there Isaac is. He's old. He's blind. And Jacob looks at him and said, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. Now, Isaac is old and he's blind, but he's not stupid. And he, there are some doubts going on in his mind. And he comes, he, he comes right out with it. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? I mean, he knows that it takes a while to go out into the field to to catch the game and then to dress it and then to fix it. This is going to take time. I think this is where Rebecca kind of slipped up a little bit. But anyway, I mean, he's quick with the answer, isn't he? Oh, doesn't this just show you that you can talk religion so quick and fool somebody so by your, your, your vocabulary and yet your heart can be so rotten? Because look what he says. Oh, the Lord your God gave me success. Boy, that had to come quick. I was sad. I wrote in my Bible. I have to smile when I, I read in my Bible. Oh, please. I mean, that's when I wrote in there because it's just so awful. It's so fake. Because, you know, lion is another word that I looked up. I know what lion is, but I have been having such a fascination with looking up certain words, words that I think I know, and watching the dictionary just help me to understand the story better. So I looked up the word lion. And it is, it is really something. Let me tell you what the dictionary said. Lying is making an untrue statement with all intent to deceive. That is what lying is. I mean, it's just perfect here, you know? And so you can, you can call it fib. You can call it little white lie. You can try to minimize it, but lying is, it is an untrue statement, and you know it is, and the intent is to deceive. And then I looked at what are some synonyms of lying, and <laughs> this too just fit. And it's called, uh, the synonyms were um, untruth, false, fraud, and fake. Those are synonym, synonyms of lying. So that really, I mean, 
That's why it's a commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. I mean, lying is terrible. God hates it, and he commands us not to because of the fact you know it's untrue, and your whole intent is to deceive somebody. Pitiful. It's just plain pitiful, this whole story. And it's going to get worse. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. See? He, is, he has God doubts. Isaac, or, or then Jacob went to Isaac closer, and Isaac touched him and said, because, you know, remember, we said that the, the twins were totally different, and that wasn't the problem. It, it's just totally fine that, that two boys are totally different. I mean, that's the way God creates us, you know. And it, it was the heart condition in, in both of these boys. But right, right now, Jacob's heart condition is just so far from, from the Lord. And, and yet... Isaac hears that voice and knows, you know, they sound, you know, Jacob knew that, you know, he was doing his best to deceive, but Isaac is just using his other senses, and I'm not deaf, so the voice sounds different. The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. You know, he's confused. He did not recognize him, for his hands were here like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed, he blessed him. But then look at verse 24. It's like, okay, are you really? Are you really my son Esau? Oh, I look at that little white space. And I think, oh, you could have just grabbed that goat hair and pulled it off you. And he, and you you could have you could have just come clean, and you could have you know looked at that old blind man and said, "I am so sorry." We thought we thought we had to work out a plan because we just thought we had to do it, and you were going to bless Esau, and that wasn't you know. I mean, there's so many things that could have happened. Rebecca could have said, oh, I know. God said we should have waited. There's so much that could happen to change this story, but it's, are you really my son? He saw, I am, he replied. Then he said, then Isaac said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you. And this is when I thought, oh, no. I know, I, I just know Rebecca told him about that experience of what God said. Are you deliberately forgetting or are you, because look what he says, may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. Just the opposite of what God said to Rebecca. Like, is he grabbing? Does he want Esau to have that? And then may those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. What a blessing that was. It was. But look at verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, look how did they pass each other. I mean, Jacob's just leaving, and then here comes brother Esau in from hunting. He, too, prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Did you notice that that was the same words that Jacob said in verse 19, the very same? His father Isaac asked him, who are you? 
who are you? And, you know, I'm sure Esau thought, <laughs> but then maybe he had a little tinge of compassion. <laughs> he thought, well, he is old, you know, and he, he can't see, so he just kind of played along with it. He said, well, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. Maybe I'm all wet here, but I think it was a flash in Isaac's mind. Like I blessed him and there's nothing I can do. It was the way God intended and it's indeed going to stay that way. Because it's pretty much cut and dry. Oh, when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry. A loud, I mean, he's a big man. I mean, he's an outdoorsman. He knows how, he's got, he, got, he has a sled of pipes, I'm sure. So loud I get, but then the bitter, he was bitter. He had a kind of cry that was just so Better. And that word, that word just scares me because it's such a dangerous word, that word bitter. You know, it starts maybe, I shouldn't say innocently, but you know, you can get angry with somebody, you know, if they've done you wrong. I mean, you get mad, but that anger can turn to bitter real quick. And the thing is, it doesn't stay at bitterness, which we see in the story. And we know that how sin just spirals. So even emotions, the anger turned to bitterness. Bitterness turned to hatred. And hatred turned to destruction. You know, we got to be careful with these emotions. Because, boy, they can, they can really get to a point where it's just like it's no return. I mean... Look at this. So he is crying out bitterly, and he says to his father, bless me, me too, bless me too, my father. But he said, Isaac had to say to him, your brother came deceitfully. It's like, this is all wrong. He came deceitfully, and he took your blessing. And I'm thinking, Isaac, it is not, it is not his blessing. And you were told that years ago, before the boys were even born, what God was going to do. So when he said, and took your blessing, and then Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, isn't he? And I looked up that, and there are so many, especially nowadays, there's some nice definitions of meaning of Jacob. But I found one, I found one definition of Jacob that I do feel probably was why Esau made that statement, and that meaning is deceiver. And so, you know, being that he knew that his name meant deceiver, did did Esau say, no wonder he was named that. But all four of them have been deceiving. But, but you know, um, wait till you get farther ahead. You remember, it is that time when God looks at Jacob and says, after his salvation, after his wrestling, you know, then God says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your name. You will no longer be Jacob, but you will be Israel. And I thought, that whole thing about changing our name, when God changes our name, you know, I still go back to that song all the time. You know, that my name was changed. Jesus changed my name from, because before him, before I accepted him, I was too far gone. But only Jesus could save me by grace. So, you know, what a change of name from too far gone to saved by grace. It's quite a name change and a life change and everything. So when Jacob's name was changed to Israel, it's like, let's get this back, put this past behind us. You have got a job to do, and that is to bring forth a nation that's called Israel that will then bring forth a savior. But in the meantime, he has deceived, this is what Esau says to Isaac, he has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright. And again, I said, he did not. You came in all drama. 
You came in saying, you know, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die if you don't give me so. What, right, what good is my birthright anyway? You know, so you, you sold it to him. Which really, that whole transaction wasn't legit because it wasn't yours to sell. It was Jacob's already, and God was going to work it out. So then he said, he took my birthright, now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made Jacob lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? I gave him everything. Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing? He doesn't give up, does he? I mean, he is, he is persistent with, how about, there's, there's got to be a little something. Do you have one blessing for me, my father? Bless me too, my father. Do you see? Look at my father, my father. Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. In the realization, no, there is nothing left. And Esau wept aloud. Again, you wish that it was a, a cry of, I throw my hands. We've made, our family has made such a mess of all this. You know, but this cry, when he cried this time, it was still a cry of selfishness. It was a cry of frustration. And then to hear his father say these words to him, instead of, again, the opposite of what the real blessing was, which he gave to Jacob, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. I mean, it's going to be a hard life, Esau. It's not at all going to be the way I wanted it. Probably he's saying, because you're my favorite and I want you to have this blessing. But it's not going to happen that way. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. You think he's saying, you know, it looks and sounds and is so terrible right now, but life will go on. You will be able to have, you will be able to have a life. You, this, you'll be able to throw it off. And wait till Genesis 33. Wait till you, till you get to that lesson. And that's when Jacob and Esau come together. And it's like Esau, he has made a life for himself. In fact, when Jacob wants to soften him by giving him hundreds of things, Esau says, I don't need it. I don't need any of it. So he has moved forward and made a life for himself. So I'm just kind of giving you that little information ahead of time. But okay, now I got to talk to you about white space again because so much could have happened here, a choice all of them could have come clean right here. I mean, it wouldn't have been a happy, a happy scene, but they could have come clean. And, and Esau, believe it or not, I know it's, it's horrendous, but it was the way God intended, and if he had that explained to him year after year after year, maybe they would have accepted it, and none of this would have happened. But, okay, but still, now that it happened, he could have forgave I know when people unjustly treat us terrible and you think, there's no way I can forgive. And our human instinct is revenge. I want them to pay. It's only right. They got to learn a lesson. We can say all those things. But right in this space, so much could have changed. He had a choice to decide, okay, am I going to forgive or am I going to let the, the sin and keep spiraling me down farther and deeper and darker. And, you know, I, I still say, even though no matter what someone does to you, 
and you hold on to that. It affects every part of your life. And, and the thing is, with forgiveness, we think, yeah, but they've done so much. But I don't care what they've done. When we stand before a Savior who forgives us so graciously, what we have done can't compare. And yet he was so gracious about forgiving us. Well, while we were yet sinners, he was willing to die to make forgiveness possible, that our sins could be gone forevermore. So I, I, I wait a minute because I'm thinking, oh, Esau, I know it would have been hard. I know, but, you know, you, you're going to make a choice. And as I turned my page, because I had to turn my page, and then I thought, oh, dear, Esau held a grudge. That's what he decided to do. Decided to hold a grudge. I don't think forgiveness even came into a thought for him because he was so far away from the Lord. I don't think he ever knew the Lord personally, to tell you the truth. And when you don't have that kind of understanding, you're working totally in your human nature, sinful human nature. And so I know he had the same white space, but he held a grudge. Because of the blessing his father had given him, he said to himself, you know, he, you know what Isaac had given to Jacob and he felt he should have. And I mean, he, I'm sure he went over this humpteen times in his mind. And so he said to himself, see, but there again, you got a choice. Instead of going to yourself and thinking about this humpteen times, he could have, he could have, I mean, you talk about a family powwow. The four of them could have just gone together and Rebecca could have gone over what God said and it could have just so been different. Look at he says. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. So he thought he was going to be dying any time and then, you know, then I got to wait so many days according to the rules of mourning. But as soon as that day is done, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebecca was told what her older son had said, now this time she wasn't eavesdropping, so someone heard Esau and so came, you know, to Rebecca and said, Oh, let me tell you, let me warn you. He's on the rampage. And she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. See, anger, like this kind of anger, I mean, he is so mad that he is, I think it's almost driving him crazy. And, you know, he is just beside himself. And the only way that Rebecca could explain, the only way that's keeping him from going nuts is the fact that he's going to kill you. He's going to make it, he is going to make it right in his mind. That's consoling him. That's keeping him from crazyville. Now then, now then, my son, do what I say. Do what I say. You know, like I said, I'm going to just retract a little bit because, you know, when you are making a choice, when you decide to stay with your human emotions, because it's, you know, I tell you, once you get on that kind of um, spiraling, then you just get weaker and weaker. You know, we talked about that. We said that, you know, sin will cause you, unless, unless you confront that sin, you will keep going down and it will weaken you. It does weaken you. And, and this is life. I mean, we have to, we're constantly making choices when people hurt us or when something, you know, when something happens that we are disappointed or hurt or we have to decide how we're going to do it. And we can either get weaker and weaker when we don't go to the Lord, when we just are so feeling sorry for ourselves because we're not getting what we want. And I still went back to that verse again that Paul said. I mean, you know how we want it. We want it fixed. We want our problem better. And, and I remember when Paul said, I begged, I begged the Lord three times. And his answer was, no, because he had something better for me. You know, so often we want our problems solved right now. And, and yet God's saying to us, no, you know, I want you to learn something. I want you to learn that my grace is sufficient. 
that my power is made perfect in your weakness. So, so you know, this is probably making you weak and because you are so taken. Maybe it's just overwhelming you, and you just can feel that you're just feeling yourself just kind of falter, and it's just, over, it's just taking over you, and you're getting weaker. That's when Jesus said to Paul, I want, you, I want the Holy Spirit to be able to keep reminding you of something so much better, and that is that through it all, my grace will be sufficient for you. And when you feel weak, my strength is perfect. So I see, that too is a choice we can make. And it could have been so different. But no, we've got Rebecca saying, you know, the only way he's, he's, he's consoling himself because he knows that some of the day's coming, he's going to kill you. So this is what I want you to do, my son. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. And then look in verse 44, what she thought. You just stay there with him for a while. I underline that because, you know, she really thought, oh, you'll cool down. Stay with Laban for a while until your brother's fury subsides. And when your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I thought, yeah, right. I'll send word. I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? I am watching Rebecca spiral. She is spiraling down. And she too could have made a different kind of choice. But she is just starting to be overwhelmed and overpowered with all this negativity, all this, what is wrong with my family? It's just all falling apart. It's falling to pieces. And you know, the saddest thing is that she never sees Jacob again. She has no idea that he's going to be with Laban over 20 years. And here she, in her mind, she's thinking, oh, you so will cool down. I'll get word to you, and you'll come back, and we'll be one big happy family. That's what she's thinking, but down deep, I think she knows better because she is just, you just can't help but see her. She is sinking, and she's sinking fast because verse 46, then Rebecca said to Isaac, you know, you got both boys that are, are you know, you got... Esau that, that wants to kill Jacob, got Jacob that's on the run, and so now the, this couple sits down, and this is where Rebecca, face to face with Isaac, she throws up her hands and says, I'm disgusted with living. I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If, if Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, See, now she's starting to think, I'm sending him off. And before he gets to Laban, remember, it's 900 miles. This is why I just love the verse by verse, because it just helps us to understand, you know, what that makes sense. She's thinking, you know, it's a 900-mile trek. And so, I mean, maybe before he gets there, he's saying, you know what, you know, there's a good-looking woman here. And, and she's already thinking, you know, maybe he'll just settle here. You know, it's been so, so horrible, and he hasn't met the Lord personally yet, so what's really going to keep him? I mean, it just all looks so bad and hopeless. And she is throwing up her hands and saying, I'm just disgusted with living because I have a feeling Jacob's going to marry Hittite women. And, and then look what she says. My life will not be worth living. When life can get so bad that you are so disgusted to even wake up in the morning or you just don't even feel like it's worth living anymore, you talk about spiraling to a place. I mean, you're talking about the bottom of the barrel, Rebecca. She doesn't, you know, I think, have you ever been that low? Have you ever been that low? And if you've ever been so far away from the Lord that you just, it's just not worth living She's in a sad place. And I thought, you know what? I can't end tonight without. I just can't. And so the thing that came to my mind, because it is really easy, I think, in our humanness, and, and if we're not walking with the Lord, our human nature can take over, and our emotions can begin bigger than our faith, and, and we do start getting disgusted with our lives, and, and we do feel like it's not even worth living. And then I pray that the Holy Spirit... And, I am just so grateful for 
how the Lord gives us these tools to remind us when we get into that kind of state. And you know, all I could think about, the way I wanted to end tonight was, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know he holds my future. And he makes life worth the living just because he lives. I'll tell you, God gave Bill Gates through that song maybe just so that when we got to this point, when you heard Rebecca say that, you could, you could hear the truth of that. Life is worth the living because we know we have a Savior that lives. And then one more. I couldn't help it. I just went right into it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, all trials, all trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So let's bravely run this race till we see Christ. Heavenly Father, you just keep doing it, don't you? You just keep showing us that there's always hope with you. And so when our human nature takes over, when we have maybe booted you off the throne of our life, thinking that our life is just such a disaster right now, we're so broken, I'm just disgusted with living. I don't think it's worth the living, Father. I just pray because of your beautiful spirit, you will remind us of what we know Life is worth the living, not because of anything we've done, but because we have a Savior that's alive and made life worth living possible, calling it abundant life. He didn't promise us comfortable and happy and always getting our way. But that's what you're teaching us in Genesis. It is, the principle is so simple. Just come to me. Trust me. Listen. Listen to my word and obey my commands. Father, we too could have such a different story. I pray that we make the most of our white space when we make choices. Father, again, I thank you for how you're teaching us. It's so clear. You're using your your words, but you're also using people, people just like us. And you pour out your grace. So, Father, thank you for just this great demonstration again of what you want us to know and we will give you all the praise and the glory and may may we say like Paul in view of what you've done for us we're offering ourselves back to you as a living sacrifice and we pray this all in our Savior's name who does make life worth living amen